Hello and welcome to The Unstable Nuclei, hosted by Paranit, Aiden, Nidula and Sam. So today we're going to discuss the recent uh, controversy of LK99, uh, a superconductor which apparently works at room temperature and ambient pressure. The claimed superconductor was discovered by a team of Korean scientists led by Sukbaik Lee and Jihoon Kim at Korea University. They claimed that LK99 was a superconductor at room temperature and pressure and even at temperatures up to 127 degrees Celsius. So why is this a big deal? Before we can get into the applications of superconductors, it's important to understand how they actually work. So what is a superconductor? So there's quite an extensive history behind um, superconductors and when we first discovered them and then you know, between then and when we actually had a good theory which explained how they actually work and how they have their properties. So the story starts off in 1908 with uh, Dutch physicist Heike Oens. He figured out how to cool helium gas, helium gas at 4 degrees Celsius above absolute zero. He also cooled a sample of mercury to this temperature and found it had no resistance, therefore meaning it had no energy loss and called this new state of matter a superconductor. Resistance is caused when electrons bump into the atoms of the conducting material they are travelling through. This causes some of the electrons' energy to be transferred to the atoms of the conductor and can be seen when the wire heats up. So, in the new superconductor state, the electrons flow perfectly through the material without colliding with any of the atoms of the conducting material. So, it worked so well, right, that if you induced a current in a circle of wire that's made of superconductor, then that current would continue to flow forever because no energy is lost. Superconductors also have an interest, another interesting property. They expel magnetic fields. This means if you place a magnet over a superconductor, it will float. So um, what causes these properties? So Lord Kelvin, who's um, the inventor of the International System of Absolute Temperature, obviously you know the name Kelvin, um, believed that close to um, absolute zero or zero Kelvin, the electrons will stop moving and resistance will become infinite. So Ohm's discovery was therefore a contradiction to this uh, when he called mercury to 4.2 Kelvin and obviously that became a superconductor and actually the um, resistance decreased rather than increasing. So it's been since been found that other materials and alloys can be superconducting super at much higher temperatures um, but still they still have to be very very cold so like around minus 123 degrees centigrade or 150 Kelvin. The next big discovery in this field occurred in 1933 by Fritz Walter Meisner and Robert Oxenfeld. He found, they found that when metal is cooled to superconducting temperature with a magnet on top, it causes the magnet to float. Normally, matter allows magnetic fields to pass through it, but superconducting materials don't allow this and expel the field. The, magnet, the magnet is lifted in order to allow the magnetic flux to flow through to the opposite pole since it can't go, since it can't go through the material. This is known as the Meissner effect. Um, the cause of the superconductivity is still unknown. So yeah, at this point when the Meissner effect was discovered, um, we still didn't have a theory that really, you know, truly gave us um, a proper explanation on how they could do what they could do. Um, so that came a lot later. Uh, what causes resistance? Resistance is caused by collisions of electrons with the atoms of the conducting material. This is because the atoms vibrate uh, and there are imperfections in the lattice. When the electrons collide with the atoms, they transfer energy to them, allowing them to vibrate more than usual, causing the entire, um, uh, the whole lattice to heat up, uh, to heat up and vibrate more. So it's important to have a look um, in more detail at what causes resistance, because then when we look at um, why this goes away, it will make a little bit more sense. 
So when you cool down um, a conductor, the vibrations of the atoms in the conductor um, are reduced, obviously, because it has less energy. But um, there is always going to be some movement in the atoms in the lattice, and that's due to the uncertainty principle. Because obviously, as we zoom in more, right, and get to smaller and smaller things, you have to start considering um, quantum mechanics and, and different quantum effects. So, you know, because of the uncertainty principle, there is always inherent uncertainty in the momentum of the particles when they're confined to a certain region of space, for example, in a lattice. And that is called the zero point energy. So they're always going to be moving, at least a little bit. So if they're always moving, then why does the resistance completely go away? So in 1957, BCS theory was the first to explain what was actually happening um, you know, to a superconductor. And this was discovered by um, John Bardeen, Leon Cooper, and John Robert Schreifer. So that's where the name BCS? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So a key property of particles, right, that we're first going to have to just explain, you know, give it a little bit of context so it makes more sense as we continue. So a key property of particles is their spin, and that's their, also, you know, their angular momentum, right? And the standard model of particle physics is divided into two overarching groups because of this property. So these two groups are known as fermions and bosons. So, uh, so fermions have half integer spin, uh, which can be half, uh, 3 over 2, 5 over 2. And fermions include particles like quarks, which make up the protons and neutrons, and, uh, and uh, the electrons are a fermion themselves. And then we also have the bosons, which have uh, integer spin, like 0, 1, 2, 3, and so on. And the bosons include particles like the photon, which is a light particle. So the more, most important information about these two categories of particles in relation to superconductivity is that fermions obey Pauli's exclusion principle, but bosons do not. And that will make a little bit more sense as we, as we continue. But anyway, so the exclusion principle. So any number of identical bosons can occupy the same energy level in a quantum system, but fermions cannot. So they can never be in the same quantum state meaning that only a limited number of fermions can occupy each energy level. So imagine this, like in an atom, you have different shells, right? So you can only have a limited number of electrons in each shell because of the exclusion principle. Um, and that's why also they exist in pairs in their orbitals. So um, the exclusion principle prevents matter from being able to pass through itself. And as an electron passes through a metal, it is attracted to the positively charged metal ions or cations of the lattice and is repelled by other electrons. So if you imagine a perfect metallic lattice, you know, so everything is arranged in straight lines, all the cations are in straight lines. Um, as an electron passes through this lattice, it will pull the metal cations towards it because they're opposite charges and opposite charges obviously attract. So if you imagine this as two metal cations, so one in the top row and one in the bottom row, are pinched together as the electron passes between them, right? So, and that's because of the charge? Yeah, so that's okay. because of the charge. And then that increases the positive charge density of the lattice in that area. And that is actually known as quite a cool word, I think, a phonon. So a phonon is a collective motion of multiple ions with the same frequency. So what that means is, is when the electrons are moving through, it's causing that pinching motion, you know, that pinching in the lattice at the same time. That distortion of the lattice is occurring at a regular frequency, mm. right? So this attractive force, um, you know, of, of the um, greater charge density, greater positive charge density, will um, pull in another electron, and it is, um, allows the um, new electron to overcome the repulsion between that electron and the old electron, if that makes sense. I know it's mm -hmm. a bit of a mouthful. Um, so this allows them, the electrons to form pairs, right? 
So one, one of the electrons is a leading electron, so it goes through and it creates the initial distortion, and then that causes the um, charge density to increase, which pulls another one in, right? So you have the one in front and the one behind, and they're connected, and they're known as a Cooper pair. So at low enough temperatures, the Cooper pair will stay together um, because the electrons in the pair do not have enough energy to break apart. So the pair now, interestingly, can be treated as a single particle rather than two different electrons. So now, going back, we reintroduce our idea of spin from earlier. So when stuck within a Cooper pair, yeah, if you're considering that as one particle, then the, um, in that interaction, the spin of the electrons adds up. So you can go from half integer spin to integer spin, right? So if you have two electrons that have uh, plus one half spin, then that equals to an integer spin of one. Or if you have an electron with um, plus one half and then minus a half, then you get an integer spin of zero. So this means then that um, Cooper pairs will behave like bosons, right? Instead of two fermions. And therefore, they will not obey Pauli's exclusion principle, which is key, right? So since any number of bosons can occupy the same energy state, the collection of Cooper pairs within the conducting material can act as one single unit. So this state is known as a Bose-Einstein condensate. So a bunch of bosons cool to a low temperatures occupying the lowest ground energy state is, is like its actual definition. So um, all the Cooper pairs act like one bosonic electron, all at the same energy state, which is the lowest one. Yeah, and this obviously because it's made of electrons, yeah, even if you're treating them all as one unit, because it's made of electrons, it will have a negative charge and therefore the one unit will have a negative charge. So then it can, because it's charged, it can conduct electricity. So normally when electrons collide with the metal lattice, they lose energy as we've talked about before. And that's why it's important for us to talk about resistance earlier. Um, but for a Bose-Einstein, uh, sorry, Bose-Einstein condensate, the Cooper pairs are already at their lowest energy state. So therefore, they can't lose any more energy to occupy a lower energy quantum state, right? So imagine this, you know, like if you have an atom that's excited by radiation and it, you know, some electrons increase and they go up in their energy level and they can fall back down because there's a lower energy level which they're more stable at, yeah? But in this case, they're already at that lowest level and therefore there's nothing for them to fall down to, right? So they're, they're at their absolute minimum. Yeah, exactly. So um, this results in a lack of interaction between the Cooper pairs and the me metallic lattice, which has the effect of zero resistance, so superconductor. The interaction between the electron, electrons sorry, in the Cooper pairs is very weak and therefore only works at very, very low temperatures. Um, otherwise, the electrons in the pair will gain enough energy to break three, free of that pair. Um, so as the temperature increases above the critical temperature, the Cooper pairs will break up. So the superconductivity overall can conclude is due to the interaction of the Cooper pairs with the phonons of the metallic lattice. So if you need such low temperatures for, um, for superconductivity, how, how are there people claiming that there's room temperature superconductors? Well, you have different types of superconductor, right? So the ones that we've mostly been considering at the moment are type one superconductors. And those like sort of most vigorously in a way will expel a magnetic field. Whereas type two superconductors don't, it's not as much. So they'll expel it to an extent, but they, they will still have magnetic flux lines passing through right. them. And these, the, one of the properties of type two superconductors is that they can work at a lot higher temperatures. So that, right. for example, would be like LK99, you know, that there are ones that can do that and have that property. Uh -huh.
That's interesting. Um, so, and yeah, obviously, other than LK99, there have been others discovered. So an example of this um, that I've seen uh, was a carbonaceous sulfur hydride, which works at room temperature, but it only works at really, really extreme pressures, like, you know, the pressures you'd find at the center of the earth, you know, that kind of magnitude. So obviously that isn't very useful, you know, it's not very convenient mm -hmm. in, in, in everyday use of, of that material. Uh -huh. Yeah, and what are the uses of these superconductors? How can we, I wonder how they'll influence our life. If having no resistance would mean close to zero, or if, if not zero energy loss, they could probably be used for some life-changing, possibly change society forever. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, transport, you know, there's uh, maglev trains, yes. you know, yeah. like that will completely revolutionize transport. But also but instead of, in terms of making energy, making electricity even, I think that would possibly completely change it. For example, with nuclear fusion, yeah. where you're unable to get to the high enough temperature because of energy loss. Um, if you have a superconductor that's able to conduct and take the energy to it to, to just completely efficiently exactly yeah. yeah so you wouldn't have the issue with not yeah. being See, able that's, to that's, produce. A, that's a really good point because like at the moment in terms of fusion our problem isn't the, like the physics behind mm. fusion you know it's actually the engineering it's yes. limiting our exactly. progress in that in that area so that would really help and making it cost effective of course yeah exactly because yeah. i mean that's what it's all about you know they can't make fusion on a large scale if it's not cost effective yeah. you know it's all about profit at the end of the day <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> But also if it's completely not possible right now because of superconductor, because if not because of energy loss, this would completely revolutionise how we use energy every day. Yeah, because it would just reduce our electric like electricity bills would go mm, down crazy. Because at the moment they're obviously on the rise. Yes. Because they, they were on the rise for a while, yeah. and then they're, they're gonna they'd stagnate uh, and they drop a, a they, lot. You'd expect <laughs> them to drop. Yeah, because well, the thing is, like, if you're you know transferring energy with zero resistance you're not you know no energy is being dissipated exactly. then it means that you don't have to use as much fuel because if an area is demanding a certain amount of energy it's going to have to have that mm -hmm. but you're going to have to give it more than enough because some of so it's going to be lost loss. on the way yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. but if it's perfect then you have to use less fuel because mm -hmm. it will only need that exact amount of energy rather than any more yeah. you know what i mean so how far how far away do you think we are from i mean <laughs> There's questions as to whether it's possible, um, but the thing is, the problem is, is that there are more rules, you know, surrounding superconductors that we just don't know yet, and that's the problem with a lot of things. You know, a lot of these new areas of technology is still that, quite early on it. Yeah, because it's, like, it's not that it's it's necessarily impossible. It's just that we don't know enough about how it but, works, yeah. and, you know, to actually properly do that. You know what I mean? Um, so unfortunately, like, if LK99 was real, you know, if, if that wasn't just a bit of a scam. Yeah, so with LK99, that was quite interesting yeah. how they they claimed to have created a superconductor. And I think there was hundreds of labs around the world trying to recreate it and they just never managed yeah. it. Because it was just completely fake. It was completely fake. But I think like as soon as they released it, everyone was very skeptical because, because like, like, it would be like the discovery of the century if they yeah. do something like that, you know. Another, I think another really interesting use would be super fast computers, um, because obviously if you have zero resistance, you wouldn't have, it would be just be much faster, as well as um, the computers would be much more efficient in terms of heat. Um, like for example, a laptop at the moment, they get quite hot, yeah. but if you're... I mean, yeah, my Chromebook's basically <laughs> burning, <laughs> a hole, burning a hole on the table here. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you have no energy loss, that would... Yeah, because then it also like it just negates the need for heat sinks and, yeah. and fans yeah. and that kind yes, of thing. Yes, fans especially. So, 
you know, there'll be a lot more space to do other things. Yeah. It would, they'd be a lot more compact, more like, because obviously you have compact form factor computers, but yeah. you, you don't get that, because obviously you still you need a cooling aspect. Yeah, exactly. And, it, with that, and once you get rid of that, it becomes a lot more efficient. Yeah. And so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, if you talk, go into, like, quantum computing and stuff, that's, yes, like, having that's the great efficiency, like, with qubits and so on, every calculation you do on a supercomputer, like, in quantum computing, would be exponentially might, better much, much faster yeah so so they could do that on on a small scale such as or in a computer or a bit of technology or is that we don't know if that's possible yet we don't know if it's possible because we we obviously have superconductors but like yeah. if you want to have a computer that contains a superconductor that we know at the moment you either need to expose it to the pressure of yeah. you know the center <laughs> yeah. of the earth or a really insanely low temperature so like you couldn't do it now, no, but if, if, if in the future we could find something like LK99, then definitely you could incorporate it into a small-scale device. Because yes. um, it obviously will impact things like phones too. You know, our phones, phones will definitely. completely change. Yeah. And I think with, with yeah, combining superconductor with quantum computing, as well as just how small form factor, you could have like, you could have like a super powerful like NASA computer yeah. in, your, in your pocket. Like with electric cars as well, like if you yeah. have 100% efficiency, with no resistance, it it just makes it like if if we get the green how uh, like the green energy down a bit better, yes. it that will just become so it much more com viable. Completely, like yeah, because you don't have any because no electric cars right now they have a yeah. lot of cooling inside as well. They have a lot of cooling, and, and then like at the end of the day, even though they're green cars, that most of the energy is getting is coming from on green sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Carbon, carbon. Yeah. yeah, but also they are heating themselves up. Yeah. Which is going to be a lot of energy loss. If that was, you know, negated, that would that would like extend the battery life of a car for almost double. Which is also like a very key thing because you know, in terms of the environmental impact of yes. electric cars, their biggest problem is their battery. Yes. Yeah. So if yeah. you need to replace that, you know, because exactly. like yeah. Yeah, once you're like the like the electric components are no longer viable, and they you can't they, they you can't reuse them. Yeah. You, you just have to scrap a good chunk of them. I think that would be interesting with superconductors, like seeing how long they last compared to like because a general conductive. Because obviously, like the resistance isn't there. Exactly. So like. But I wonder if there'll be other aspects that'll make it less or, or more durable. Yeah. But um, just like another thing, like just back to your question, Aiden, earlier about you know, incorporating things in, into technology now, um, we actually can. There is actually I forgot there is an example. So um. Like you can have very ultra sensitive MRIs, like very specialist MRI machines can have superconductors that are, you know, work at very low temperatures at the moment. Um, so obviously it's not great, you know what I mean? It won't be as efficient and stuff, but you can do that. So why know. would you use a superconductor in, a, in an MRI machine then? Or would you, um, you know, what can we like assume? Well, it's, it's, to, it's basically just to do with the strength of their magnetic field because um, it's so strong and that's all to do with it. Get higher resolution images in there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. And I'm assuming it'll also use less energy then, right? Yes, it would. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you all for listening. We hope you learned something new about STEM and enjoyed the show. Be sure to check out the show notes and leave us a rating if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And until next time, this is The Unsaving New Play. <laughs>